Hello and welcome to the About to Interview podcast. I'm your host, that guy named John. This is a supplemental version of the About to Interview podcast, which drops every Wednesday and covers movies, TV shows, film festivals, and more. You can follow the podcast on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Blueberry, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. This show focuses solely on the conversations that I have with authors, directors, actors, and creators, and is available on YouTube as well as subscribing to the podcast. Make sure to click the subscribe button below, give a thumbs up, and check out the full show notes with links to the guests at abouttoreview.com. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Finally joining the podcast after trying to chase you down for months on Twitter, which happens. Which, oddly enough, even though we used to hang out at the same comic book shop in Eugene, welcome to the show, Mike and Laura Allred. Thank you. Uh, hello. Thank you. Uh, that might be all you hear of Laura, because <laughs> no, she apparently she'll, was she'll hesitant. Mike does all the talking. No. You watch. <laughs> so, Mike Allred, of course, is incredibly well-known from your original stuff, like Madman and The Atomics all the way to X-Statics, X-Force, to the recent things like Bug and Forager and that partnership with your brother, Lee. So now at Emerald City Comic Con, we just got done hearing you speak on a panel about the legendary Jack Kirby. That was a blast. That was actually a really fun panel. That panel was incredible. So it had Chris Claremont, Jaime Hernandez, Adria Gilroy. I mean, it was... And Joe, Joe Keating. Joe Keating. Joe Keating. So what about this con in particular, Emerald City Comic Con, makes it special? Well, first of all, we love S- Seattle. Yeah, it's kind of close to home. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like the division of space is really useful. Yeah? If you, if you Except I see keep spe- getting lost. Yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> it's, it's like a multi-level... Uh, chess yeah but i had to go like a back alley to get up to some escalators to get up but if you want to see your favorite artists the artists are all grouped in one specific area which is pretty great yeah Mm -hmm. and it and it feels more open and it's not you're not crammed in a small space right and we were here just three or four years ago not sure but exactly when but about three or four years ago and i think it's at least doubled since then Oh, for sure. And then we were there a few years before that, and it seemed like it was bigger than before that. It was, like, tiny. Yeah. (laughs) It went from, like, one room to, like, now it's everywhere. And and now we can ask ourselves, did we like it when it was small and intimate, or now that it's crazy? Right. Well, that is always kind of the the weird balance, is you want it to still be intimate, and you want it to still feel, you know, that group, that togetherness. But at the same time, everything has to grow and change. I think I prefer the growth in that because yeah? there's a it's a, a an accumulative energy. 
and you just kind of get caught up in it. And the enthusiasm, I mean, we were, we had a nonstop line all day and mm-hmm. Bragger. <laughs> no, uh, humbly. I'm so popular. The line is just wrapped around the building. Let me just, let me just tell you how popular I am. Right. No, my point is I mean, that. <laughs> I like how she just you completely guys, threw you under the bus. You she, guys. Before we started recording, You're Laura's so like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm I not going to. I told you. Uh-huh. I told you she would contradict <laughs> me and humiliate me and undercut me. Mike is so humble. <laughs> My point is okay, sorry. because there's that consolidation mm-hmm. of artists up there, and you can find it was really easy for people to find us. Yeah. And because we don't do that that many shows, it's like a really. Uh, for instance, if we do, if we did do a lot of shows, there wouldn't have been this energy of people coming in, knowing that here was this time that these people that specifically wanted to see us had the exact time and place to mm-hmm. do that. And it you so there's an appreciation there, me us for them and oh, them definitely. for us. We totally and have an appreciation. We just had this great exchange all day long, as opposed to just kind of you know twiddling your thumbs or something for sure uh quick comic-con story um, but i am popular so i mean well of course Every, <laughs> so, everybody so, knows that so everybody knows so that. Uh, if we were to get back in the Wayback machine when i wasn't popular uh 2000 <laughs> you, you have been popular for a long time but Thank it was like you, 2003 uh eugene comic-con salad days uh, I was there working, uh, you know, just doing some volunteer work. With was that you, Mike Mignola and Art Adams came down? Remember that? I think that was no, that, that was a uh, that was a different one. Oh. You bragger. We're going to talk about how Art Adams how and Mike everybody? Mignola stayed at our <laughs> house. They're our really, oh, good, wow. they're our really good friends. <laughs> they're our really good friends. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're popular. Tell them about when Robert Rodriguez and and uh, Martin Scorsese stayed. Oh, at I was house. waiting for that. No, I have a I have a specific <laughs> question so about that crap. that we'll get to Robert. later. But with this little Comic Con in Eugene, Oregon, we were in one room. There's just a large rectangle of tables where yeah. everybody was. Uh, that it was, was it. Was like the building's kind of round, right? Yeah, yeah, it was a round building, and we were just that's a weird room in a rectangle of tables. Yeah, uh, that was the year that you signed my DVD copy of G Men from Hell. Okay, that also had the hidden feature of Astroesque. Oh yeah, on it. <laughs> so in the years that we have had since then, and all the talk of reboots of all of these things. So when is Astro Astroesque two coming out? Yeah, oh, right. never. <laughs> First of all, the the, the cut. That w- ended up on the DVD mm-hmm. was the wrong one. It wasn't uh, letterboxed, or and the sound was screwy. It had all of the dialogue in one speaker and everything <laughs> else out of the other. It was a mess. Oh my gosh, we're looking at Chewbacca right now. That's incredible. Yep. And I can Good. hear oh, his. He's stilts. about to go to the escalator. Okay, we're gonna pause while we watch oh, this. this. Is he did oh, it. Wow. He's he. Oh. The- Damn, that's But as he was walking, was I could cool. hear his stilts creaking. And so I was like, this could that get interesting. Wow, Let us paint a picture for you people. Impressive. Right. Chewbacca is very popular. Yeah. Uh, so with, that, with Astro-esque, that was your kind of first foray into filmmaking. Yeah. And now my very specific question, because you mentioned Robert Rodriguez. Uh, confirm or deny that the reason Sin City the movie got made was because of you. Confirmed. So explain to the people, because this was something that those of us kind of in and around comics and the industry for a while, 
that was something that was going around is that you kind of made those connections oh, to make R- that happen. Robert has said that many times. You'll see that and hear that and read it in interviews where um, you connected he, him up with Bob, right? Yeah, Bob Trek. And uh, um, so I was in an imprint group with Frank Miller mm-hmm. and Mike Mignola and Art Adams and Jeff Darrow and Dave. Of course, Kinsall, yeah, very good friends. <laughs> so he knew I knew Frank. But what I also knew was that the one person that that I knew that Frank had enormous respect for is Bob Shrek, who's done mm. a, an incredible things for my career. And I knew that if Shrek could convince Frank that this was a good idea. By the way, I should say, Frank had the opportunity to make a Sin City movie before. And um, at every everybody had the red carpet laid out for him. Mm-hmm. He even wrote a screenplay. And... Um, yeah, I, I remember seeing it when I was with Mike Richardson, you know, pitching Madman around Hollywood and eventually got picked up by Universal, which right. is where I met Robert Rodriguez. Gotcha. By the way. So anyway, just rounding this all up. But Frank, and this stuck with me ever since, and it's actually been one of my greatest driving forces. He was so in love with making comics. And this is when he was like just completely swimming in the Sin City comics. Mm-hmm. That's where his passion was. So, while, while he because one trap you can fall in in the comic book industry is thinking that it's a stepping stone to television and film. Right. Instead of its own wonderful thing. Absolutely. And and I was kind of thinking, well, uh, so do I have to go around and pitch all this stuff to Hollywood to try to... Now, if you do get a movie made, then of course your comic book is going to be more well-known. Right. But do you kind of get lost? Does it? Does the comic book go away? And you see that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. A movie will get get made, and then the comic book stops, and uh, it's kind of frustrating. But what Frank said, and um, like we went on a there was a legend tour. That was the name of our imprint print group, and Frank would often be the keynote speaker, and then of course we'd have our own private time with him, and it was just kind of like Yoda. And hmm. he, and it was always talking about the passion of the comic book art form itself, and as much as I loved it, he instilled this even deeper love and appreciation for it, and so, and now that's where that I that's where I quickly came myself was that the comic book is the theme. If anything mm-hmm. else happens, like we've got the iZombie TV series, that's yeah. fun, that's great, that's awesome. But it was that was a, that series was a concluded thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it wasn't, then if this was a continuing thing like Madman, then that's where my passion would be to continue doing that. So it's always about where your passions are and deciding: Do you want to be a filmmaker? Do you want to be a musician? Those were always the three prongs for me. Do I want to be a musician? Do mm-hmm. I want to be a filmmaker? With the gear, right. you know, or do I want? I still to have be that CD also. Well, my main passion is comics primarily because it's what I've uh, it's the muscles I've exercised the most mm-hmm. it's what I can control the most everything's right, right in front of me um, if if I want to do something with the gear then I got to call up everybody else and make that happen if I want to make a movie got to get a crew together got to get a budget etc the comic book it's right there and even if I just posted stuff online bang I can do that so the control is really key but the passion for the art form itself is there so knowing that that's how Frank felt Mm -hmm. when Robert was like first of all the conversation kind of went like this hey I'm really I'm wondering if you could hook me up with Frank Miller because I I have this great idea of how we could make a Sin City movie so my first question was well does that mean we're going to put the Madman movie back again. Right. And he was like, well, yeah, but it's what we do with the Sin City movie is going to make the Madman movie that much better. 
Okay. And so it's like, okay, cool. And Robert always did far and above anything that I I could never say any negative thing about him because, first of all, I love him and I can't think of anything negative about him. Mm -hmm. But he's done so much for us that I would be the biggest jerk on the planet if I had anything bitter to say. And it was always fun to, you know, to, to take part in his projects any way I could and to kind of be a fly on the wall and all that. But it was, so that was fine. And so I did what I could, made some phone calls. And, that is amazing. And Bob was the key. Shrek was the guy that was able to, to, to tell Frank, look, with Robert, you're going to have complete control. Mm-hmm. He will make the movie you want to see. And, yeah. and uh, what Robert also did was he made a short film. It's the, uh, the with Mar, it's uh, uh, Josh and Marla. It's that little scene with those actors. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he uh, Robert already had that in the can. Like wow. He, he just, hey, you guys, I want to make this little thing. So knowing that he was going to be able to meet with Frank, he had that, showed him, had that super high contrast black and white mm-hmm. photography. And so he knew, here's a guy who has his own facilities in Austin, Texas, yeah. and we're going to collaborate, and what I want to do is get that panel on the screen, and that panel on the screen, and that panel on the screen, and Robert was able to convince him. But, but Bob was the guy that I knew was going to be able to, to convince Frank to, to hear Robert out. That is incredible, and that was something that, again, since it stands alone by itself when in all of these comic book movies where you can take and I've talked about this before both personal life and on the podcast I can put the comic book to the screen and turn pages yeah and it is exactly mirrored on the screen I I, I think the Sin City film is to to this day the most faithful adaptation of a comic book to a film yet. yeah I mean visually screenplay because when you have a comic book you already have the screenplay and the storyboard right there it is how that translation happens the, that the creative feel of process it, the casting is perfect it, mm-hmm. it's like he he nailed everything and frank co-directed it like he was right. there and and uh, then they even got quentin tarantino to show up and do some directing <laughs> right. so it it's the ultimate fan film mm-hmm. it, it's just it's perfect now in thinking of and talking about creations and your original stuff versus kind of the things you do for the other companies so with that creation, do you find it easier to do a project like your recent pro- project with Bug, where you kind of went to them and you're like, hey, just like you talked about on the panel, like, I kind of want to do some stuff with these characters that people have not really been doing much with. Yeah. That type of creative energy that you would put into an original piece where you can go anywhere you want, how is that process different for Bug? And did you feel that you still had that same control? You know, you really... I, there are so many examples. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance. Mm-hmm. It, it's once you've convinced the powers that be that you they should put some support behind a more obscure character or group of characters. Right. That's the hurdle. Once you're past that hurdle, you you're going to have way more freedom mm-hmm. than if you're working with an established character like Spider-Man or Doctor Strange right. or or what have you. And that's what we had with Bug. It was such an obscure character that the first argument is nobody nobody knows who this is. <laughs> right. Well, if it's good, it you know it will it'll have that little pop like other character. Like you can just name character after character that once they're given that little spotlight, mm-hmm. 
then that if the quality's there, it'll be celebrated. Well, even and, things like Iron Man. When the first movie came out... Another great example. Iron Man was a B character in the comics. Yeah. Tell that to somebody now who has not, yeah. who's not really in, in, the, in the industry and, back you just, then. You just proved my original point about a film will make a comic book character... More or a TV popular. show, all of a sudden, this character nobody knows will know. Now, in the comic book industry, of course you know who Iron Man is. And you right. love Iron Man. And there's great classic Iron Man stories. And, you know, it's just one of a zillion characters Jack Kirby created or co-created. And, mm-hmm. and But the filmmakers, in this case Marvel Studios, really knew and believed in what they could do. And now they pretty much rule the world. And, but it all started from just, hey, who can we take and then make a successful film out of? And it was Iron Man. And so with relatively humble beginnings, smash hit, mm-hmm. and then look what we've seen. It's like the, the Marvel Studios has just exploded with all these great, exciting projects. And, and, to have, and because of that, I think that's why they were able to trust James Gunn, who wasn't a famous filmmaker. Right. So they could give this guy the right budget. And this group of obscure characters, and and in my opinion, make the best Marvel movies yet. I love the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. It, it, They're tremendous. It just love that stuff, and the the using the music as the actual music in the film as the soundtrack. I wanted to do that with Madman. He was going <laughs> right. to run around with the transistor radio and nice. some music. And there, I had a, a well. I shouldn't even say this because I still hope someday to to make a, a movie. Speak but, it into existence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, with Robert, he just did so many wonderful things, but he, there was al- already so many uh, passion projects he had. Mm-hmm. It became very clear to me that he, w- just out of kindness, he kept re-optioning the film, right? Which we appreciated, but for um, Mad Men, so yeah, yeah. So, so I, I eventually was like, you know, we'll, we'll thank you, but we'll, I'll let, I'll release you from this commitment. And gotcha. so, only now have I uh, gotten ever since. It first uh, got picked up by Universal Pictures in 1995, I think. Mm-hmm. Only, since then, only now have I gotten all the rights back. So now it is completely back in your it's all mine. hands. You can do a film with it. You could do an animated. You could do kind of whatever you... I can do you... anything I want with it. I completely own every aspect, every all the rights. But as we were also talking, I'm so in love with what's in front of me on my drawing board. Right. I'm not taking the time to run around and doing pitches and stuff. Yeah. So it, it the uh, to answer the question I get asked the most about Madman, the only way a Madman TV show or movie is going to happen is if the right uh, creators, mm-hmm. the right power people, come to me and say, "Here, we want to run with this, and we share your vision. Um, let's make it happen." Other than that, I'm just in love with making comic books, and am perfectly happy and satisfied doing that. Excellent. Speaking of making comic books. Uh, one of the people that right after the panel that you made sure somebody came up to you, of course, being like, oh my gosh, I want to meet you, you know, and you made sure to point out Laura, be like, she is the colorist, you know, all of that. So I definitely want to give Laura the spotlight for a minute because Mike's artwork (laughs) is so incredibly iconic and it has so many of those Jack Kirby isms and those looks and the feels, but it would not be the same without your amazing color work. I second that. Well, actually, Mike is color deficient. Mm-hmm. It's another. It's a fancy way of saying colorblind. So I, he, I am aware. He, yeah. he <laughs> likes more high cr- contrast. So he, mm-hmm. he. So that's like, I do that where he likes where he likes it. So when you first get a panel or a page 
from Mike, what is the first thing that you look at where your eyes are drawn to the color palette and spectrum? Yeah, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> this is the About Review podcast. Well, some, we ask the tough questions. Yeah, some, <laughs> sometimes um, I'll just j- jump right in and just do it all. And then every once in a while, Michael's saying, ah, I thought you know you might have done the background in like this color so usually when i get a piece i say okay do you have any suggestions gotcha. be- before i jump in <laughs> but normally he just lets me do anything i want and just just this might be confusing people i i can see and appreciate colors mm-hmm. i have a hard time telling them apart gotcha and so for instance if if a certain value of green is next to a certain value of red or a certain val- value of yellow is mm-hmm. next to a certain value they all look of, the same to him. of of orange yeah. or green. Like there's some greens that look yellow to me. And right. anyway, my if if it's pointed out to me, no, this color is this color. My brain will click and and learn it. Okay. And um, then you have at least a comparison point. Yeah. In the future. And so for the rest, of, in a comic book, for instance, oh, that's green. My brain goes tick, and then it, and then I will always know when I look back at that what it is. But then I'll constantly have to renew, relearn things that I'm seeing. But once I know what they are, I, I can learn what those colors are and know that no, that's not purple, that's blue, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So, now, and I love Technicolor movies, for instance, and <laughs> that's kind of what we want to see in the and and that's how I see Laura's style. It's like a Technicolor comic book. I like that. I like that. Now, talk a little bit about the collaboration. So is it something where when a new project comes along from the beginning, do you guys start to have those conversations of, and Mike is already smiling and laughing. So it is like, do you guys have those conversations of, okay, this is kind of how we want to play it out. Or does somebody take the reins? I, I'm waiting to see kind of where this, where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I pretty much color everything Mike does. And um, he likes he likes to be in control. I like to surprise her. Uh huh. <laughs> Guess time. what you're going to color tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> right? Or or he'll at night say it, it'll be like you know, like almost midnight, and he goes, "Oh, I'm just finishing up this cover. Can you get it done tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> by the way, mm-hmm. yeah. By the way, and then um, he's Mike doesn't procrastinate. If he has something, he just he just like has to get it out of the way and just laser does it, focus. Does it. Yeah. So if he walks past my studio, if I'm sitting there. Watching TV or something, he'll just look at me and say, "Aren't you supposed to be working?" <laughs> mm, not true. <laughs> but that's just the way he is. The, the, he, the, he has to just the, like work, work, reading, work, that's, work. That's a guilty conscience. Oh, okay. The, I'm looking at her like, "Ooh, you're gorgeous." Oh, yeah. I love you. Oh, so uh-huh. you and what she sees, me, what you, she says no, is like, you saying, "Hey, you should." I was like, "You might you be thinking be that, working. but the words that come out of your mouth are yeah, different." Yeah, the words coming out of your mouth. Are but, <laughs> but to answer your original question, <laughs> right. when, when there is a new project, mm-hmm. yeah, we talk it out. Like, I want it to feel like this. I want it to feel gotcha. like that. These here are these characters. If she's not familiar with them, and then she'll you know study them. She'll like just drink it in and and uh, absorb it, and and then next time I see the progress. It's almost like 90%, like exactly. Wow. After all this time, she knows what I like. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, I'll say something like, "Um, this should be a little lighter. The the mood needs to be a little lighter. Or darker. Yeah, or darker. But it'll be that kind of, like those kind of notes. And But that rarely happens because she almost always does better than what I'm hoping for. No, Mike usually lets me do anything I want. So he rarely... It's a... it's a thrill when when I see what she's done. It's like ah, oh, I'm well, so lucky. Well, that type of creative collaboration for 
for decades now. I mean, is is incredible. I mean, you talk about the the Stan Lees and the Jack Kirby's, like those partnerships that then built so many foundations. They didn't sleep together, though, that we know of. True. <laughs> Who knows? There could be an expose in a couple decades. <laughs> New rumor for Stan but, and Jack. <laughs> right. So the collaboration that you two have had for decades, the partnership that you guys have, is just incredible. So uh, final question. So for both of you, what is the most fun character to either draw and or color? And what is the most difficult character? And I, I Laura first. To color? Yeah. Well, I know... Madman, because he's white. <laughs> <laughs> we could say the same thing about Silver Surfer. So you know? easy, yeah. That would go Actually, you go nothing. So what, what is yeah, the most fun or most challenging? What's challenging is when you get some of these characters that have like... 50 million different things and like it's different on the left side and the right side mm-hmm. but like Mike's stuff is usually never like that so he's pretty he like keeps things simple which I like it doesn't get any simpler than Silver Surfer yeah right? oh he was amazing I loved killing him and <laughs> Madman because you like the character not because he was simple to like, just all this all white character with the little shimmers on him you didn't even have to do an exclamation oh, bolt on his, on his chest right. like you do Madman yeah Ma- I Mad Madman is my Silver Surfer. That's yep. why I designed him that way because I love Silver Surfer so much. Mm-hmm. I just put him in boots and put this exclamation bolt on yep. his chest. Madman's super fun. The Atomics, but everything's been uh, nothing's been that hard. Like for Mike drawing, like I know, like Captain America, like Spider Man, have all those little webs. Yeah. Trying to think of a character that you really complained about because <laughs> it would just no, all the stuff. No, what, what I what I have complained about okay. is when we're going over a script and it it is and it'll be like. You know, 10,000 people standing over oh, here. Boy. And I'm like, okay, how many are you going to draw? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I'm like, you're not drawing that many, right? But, <laughs> but I have to draw them all. You can just bathe them all in a blue light and I call don't. it a day. Right. <laughs> I've done that. I've not like done that. The, co- the Sergeant Pepper Red Rocket 7 cover. The Sergeant Pepper cover. Mm-hmm. She probably wasn't happy with me then. But I bet you had a blast <laughs> doing that. No, that, that was fun. Because nice. all, the, all the rockers on there are but any characters she loves too. But any artist is going to pretty much not like... Like this is a thousand person right. scene. You're gonna go ah okay. Yeah, because you get okay. the, you get paid the same per page. <laughs> right. <laughs> you draw one. If or there's two or one character or a thousand. Yeah. Gotcha. So Mike, then so most fun to draw and most challenging. If there is a challenging one, I mean Laura is just so good at everything she does. She's just not even challenged these days. Oh, so duck. you know. <laughs> I don't think so. Actually, well the the most fun. Ultimately, would be Madman. Okay, just because there's just so, so much of me in there. Mm-hmm. So whenever he's on an adventure, I can really relate. He's drawing I, yourself all the time. I get to decide what ride he goes on, so I'm more involved with the ride. Okay. Silver Surfer was like that too. Just like you felt like you're going along for the ride. So that it's, as far as fun goes, um, complicated. Actually, one is probably what I'm drawing right now. I'm doing a, a Spider-Man annual. Okay. And as much as I love Spider-Man, all those little webs, you got like, mm-hmm. you got to count them, you know, against <laughs> three across here and because and, it's all got to be in the same proportions mm-hmm. and everything. And Does he have the, the underarm webs? No. Okay. I, I was like, that has a whole nother level. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I have drawn him with those and I love those They're, and it's fun because you can be more spontaneous with those, but I, specifically like on his torso. Mm-hmm. Like when 
this is really getting in the weeds here, but on his belt, you just have kind of a line in between the two lines of the belt, and then right. you, then you just weave the webs through there. But when you but some artists you'll see when when it comes up across the abdomen and then mm-hmm. into the chest, you'll see uh, it'll there'll be more lines and or less lines depending on the artist. But the point is, once you decide I'm going to do five <laughs> across, you mm-hmm. got to stick with five across. Yeah. So over and over, panel after panel, you're cu- counting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, that that's where it would, and it's kind of a petty thing to discuss, but that's that would be complicated for me, where rather than you're just, wee, I'm drawing, mm-hmm. it's, uh, okay, you're counting. And it's the same with any character, if, it's, if there's uh, belt loops or whatever, right. you're constantly, you know, how, how many... Things in the boot are there. Mm-hmm. How, many, how long Warlock's are the shoelaces? <laughs> right. Oh wow! <laughs> Got tired of that one. They were like, mm, nope. Uh, right second suddenly page. he lost his belt. <laughs> first page. Oh, first, first, <laughs> first page gone. Yeah, Clever. Had King take his belt and was like, okay, don't have to draw those. <laughs> that was a veteran move right there. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was happy that nobody complained. And then I wanted a lightning bolt on on Warlock, and it was like, cool, go for it. I asked, is this okay? And they were like, yep. Yeah. And I just had this blast awesome. pop it on his chest and yeah so anyway that's 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 the uh, like rigmarole of designing comics and okay <laughs> fantastic so thank you both so much and for social media where is the best place to follow you your work all red md at all red md would is my twitter handle that's what i check the most okay um, because there's specific people want asking questions and whatnot, so that that's mm-hmm. where I'd be more likely to do that. Okay. Um, I probably check Facebook once or twice a week, so not so much there. Twitter a couple times a day, and uh, Instagram uh, at AlredMD on Instagram. I think is my handle there. It is okay. <laughs> my, Excellent. My best buddy Brian just right. <laughs> gave me a nod over there. So Mike and Laura Allred for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Welcoming back to the show. For the second time, the man, the myth, the voice, Mr. <laughs> Phil Lamar. <laughs> Thanks, John. How are you? Uh, things are going great. Cool. So it is day three. You have you have one right. more, you have one more day. <laughs> Lost track. <laughs> you just get caught in this time loop. Well, you know? Also, Emerald City Comic Con has gotten so big. Yeah. Like you lose track of time. You lose track of space. Like which building am I in, and which floor am I on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it kind of trips you out because you will go, you will walk through sky bridges and everything. You right. will go into a different building completely yeah. and then look up and be like, wait, we're still at the con? Yeah. Like where we are meeting right now is across the street, <laughs> not connected. And then you, you look around and you're like, no, this is still Emerald City Comic Con. Yep. There are booths, there are people. Like It's crazy. It is, it is massive. <laughs> Seriously. So with your panel that you did on Friday. Mm-hmm. The spotlight on on Phil Lamar, ah. the the one where you know it was just you up there and right, all of us right, were right. just fawning, you know that one. Uh, a couple things I wanted to talk about yeah. that were that got brought up during that panel. Right. So you talked about the audiobook industry, right? Right. Because people, of course, they know you, they know your voice because anybody who has been listening to animation <laughs> for the past twenty years, <laughs> actually even longer than that. Shout out, shout out to Mr. T uh, oh, cartoon. Nobody's, nobody's watching that. <laughs> I always got to put that plug in there you know? uh, for a long time. You know, right. People know your voice. And so they, of course, want to ask, oh, audiobooks and this and that. Right. And you talked about it in an interesting way. And you were like, 
sounds like a good idea. Yeah. But the structure is completely different than regular voice acting. Is there anything that maybe would bring you in to that world? Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I really enjoy reading. I enjoy Mm -hmm. listening to people do good audiobook work, you know? Um, And I appreciate it for the skill that it is. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, and again, I don't know very much about it. I've Mm -hmm. never done it. Um, All I know is, you know, secondhand information that I know from people who, you know, been in that world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, from what I understand, there can be lucrative, you know, contracts. If you're, you know, you're the guy who reads Harry Potter, you probably get paid. Right. Well, like Stephen Fry did the UK versions. Right. Uh, right. A different person who did the US version. Right. So somebody is spending money, which Mm -hmm. means those people know they're making money. Right. You know, but I think for a lot of the Roman, I'd be interested to know like what that industry actually generates Mm -hmm. because, you know, generally speaking as a actor who, you know, a cog in a machine of that type, you know, what you get is some fraction of what is generated. Right. Of course, then you, the questions of fairness get into, <laughs> well, how small a fraction, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but uh, honestly, it's, they're, they're just, you know, you can't do everything. Right. And so you have to make decisions about what's worthwhile, you know? Um, and occasionally you can carve out a little time to do something experimental mm-hmm. or just know somebody that's, you know, do a favor for a friend, you know, um, like this summer I took a week and worked on what is basically a YouTube video. Okay. You know, um, but it was a YouTube video by the, by the, the sisters who do Hillywood. They have this amazing channel on YouTube and they've been doing it for like 10 years and the level of quality is astounding. Mm-hmm. Like what these two like seemingly like little girls are have been able to, you know, create over the years was great. And you know, they called and said, "Would you want to be part of this?" I'm like, you know, I didn't know them personally. Right. I just had seen their work and met them and, and it was like, "You know what? If you can do that, then this is worth my time." You know. I mean, it's not something I could do for a living, right? Because I I can't feed my family, of course, know, like that. <laughs> and unfortunately, there are certain things like you know, um, the that uh, the the audiobook stuff that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That you know, in order to do it, you have to do it. You have to commit yeah. to it. You know, it's not things that you can really dabble in. Uh, not so much. Well, you know? like the two books that you talked about specifically that. You carry with you, either in right. a physical sense or in a metaphor- metaphorical sense, yeah. The Phantom Tollbooth and Alice in Wonderland. Right. Outside of those two books, mm-hmm. is there any kind of book that you care enough and care deeply enough to kind of take that experiment? You know, mm-hmm. if you were to really think about that and be like, all right, let me take a week, you know, and right. try and put out some creation like that. Other Outside of those two books, is there another book that you think you might want to do? And this is going to sound, I don't know, cynical or whatever, but (laughs) this is my job. Yeah. And because of that, unfortunately, it can't just be about the love. 
Yeah. There are a lot of other, you know, um, aspects that have to be factored in. I mean, and th- those sort of choices happen everywhere you go. I mean, I've been invited to conventions in Australia where I would, I would love to experience <laughs> that, great. that. Yeah. I would love to see that. But the way it's structured is it's a two week trip. Oof. And you know, I'm like, I can't be gone from work from my family for mm-hmm. two weeks just cause it would be cool. Right. You know, there are those other elements like, okay, in order for this to be worth it mm-hmm. in all senses, you Absolutely. know, the pros overweighing the cons. I mean, and th- that's not to say that there isn't some situation where, you know, if I had a chance to do a reading of Alice in Wonderland that was being distributed by someone reputable, but they didn't have, you know, it's like, that might be the case. Like, oh, well, sure. they don't have a ton of money, but there's enough to take the time to do it. Plus they have, you know, technical people that can help me do it. Right. And it will be done at a level of quality that, you know, matches my love. Speaking of things matching your love, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to say congratulations. From the last time we talked a couple months ago right. to today, Goblins Animated is officially happening. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's it's so amazing. I mean, the amount of support, the amount of love, mm-hmm. you know, the people came out. I mean, I knew that Goblins, the webcomic, had, you know, an incredible dedicated fan base. Right. You know, that was part of the reason that we went forward with this because because of those fans. It's like, well, we don't want to just take this, hand it to some studio, mm-hmm. and then have them force us to turn it into something, you know, that betrays these people's investment. You know, we want to do everything we can to try to bring the goblins that they know and love into the animated world. Mm-hmm. And we think the best way to do that is to, you know, what we did. We crowdfunded the money, and now we're going to be able to make a trailer that shows powers that be this specific world Mm -hmm. these amazing characters you know the colors this is what we're talking about you know which to me that's always a much better position to be in Mm -hmm. like coming in with hey here's a thing we have that we've created do you want to invest in this and help take it to the next level right as opposed to Hi, I have an idea. Will you please pay me for my give, give me for give my me money idea. to, you know, let me sell it to you, mm-hmm. you know. This this I think puts us in a greater position of strength, but it also requires us to do a lot more work on our own. And yeah. you know, thankfully to, you know, thanks to all the, you know, the donors and backers and people who, you know, invested in us, mm-hmm. we now get to do that. And you said that you called in so many favors to yeah. make this happen. And as I followed your journey from when you were first kind of announcing it a couple months ago, mm-hmm. every time you would post a new Facebook video or You're Instagram, right. I was like, so this person and this person and this person, yeah. how, I mean, talk about that a little bit like that. Was it humbling? Was it, did the excitement and humbleness ever quite you well, know, match up? Well, it's funny because we actually had, you know, an amazing lineup of people set up before we began. Okay. You know, we had Billy West, Maurice mm-hmm. LaMarche, Matthew Mercer, um, Steve Bloom, Jennifer Hale. Um, Again, anybody, for the people listening, 
any animation voiceover work for the past 20 years. Right. It, almost everybody involved. Right. Well, and then, then we added, you know, Tara Strong, um, <laughs> right. uh, Deborah Wilson, um, Ralph Garman, Chloe Dykstra, uh, D. Bradley Baker, right? You know, and even Dan Castellaneta agreed to do a small part for us. Sheesh. You know, and some of those we had in place before mm-hmm. the crowdfunding, and we were just like, okay, let's hold back on of this. Of course, of course. You know, just because that's, I guess, how the crowdfunding thing works. You got to keep the momentum going. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people came on as we were going and that was really amazing to to have friends you know put that kind of faith in you that sort of gave us it gave me certainly some of the energy required to keep going because it was it was it's work you know (laughs) and it's not the kind of work that i like doing i like working hard Mm -hmm. i like coming up with the voices i like creating things i don't like asking people for money right but in order to create things and in this world you either sell your IP to a massive corporation Mm -hmm. or you go out and ask people for money. Yeah. And let them help you create and help you bring that vision to life. Yeah. I mean, and watching that process was, it was just incredible. (laughs) I mean, it it was, I could see how excited you were. And at the back end, I know just how much work yeah, <laughs> that must have taken and will continue to take. Like you said, it is right. It is a process. Well, and also with, I mean, animation is very, very much a process. Right. And people's like, yay, you got the money to do a cartoon. It's like, <laughs> you're, that's basically instantly committing to at least nine to 12 months of Whew. work. Because yeah. it only goes so fast. Yeah. You know, you joked about that uh, during the panel when someone was like, you know, when people come up and they're like, hey, I heard you're doing this thing. In your head, the voiceover work was done 12 months ago. Exactly. So the fact that trailers are coming out or the things are coming out now, people are like, oh my gosh, he's in this. And you're like, um, uh, yeah, May what was that again? 2016. Right. So how does, I mean, when you think of projects, I mean, now that you've been in the industry and such a luminary in the industry for so long, when you get a new project, is that immediately kind of in your head and you're like, okay, let me create this character. Let me create this voice knowing that you aren't, you might not see what it will look like for a while um not well i mean the thing you have to understand is most things that are created mm-hmm. fail yeah just statistically speaking most things are not hits most things are not things that people remember from their childhoods most things aren't so the majority of the jobs i do you're not going to ask me about in 20 years. Interesting. You know, and of course that doesn't mean I put any less into them. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, but it also means that you can only invest so much in each of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you give every job your all and then you let it go because in some ways it's sort of an assembly line in that I'm responsible for my part of yep. building this thing. And that's all I'm, I can be responsible for. You know, I can't go, well, now when you guys do the animatic, make sure you, <laughs> it's not nope. my job, you know. Um, when, did you, when did you learn how to kind of let go? And well, talk about that. I mean, because that had to be another just learning process where, you know, things like Mad TV and sketch comedy, right. you are involved the whole time. 
you know, and you can be right. involved in either, you know, you're talking to the writer being like, okay, can we do this and this? Right. The process that you just described of you do X mm-hmm. and then you just leave it. Right. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, generally speaking, that is the case in pretty much all of show business. Um, unless you are a director or a producer. Right. You know, somebody who's got their hand in it all the way. But even, you know, like for stage directors, mm-hmm. the minute the show opens, they got to let go. Yeah. <laughs> a director is not allowed to give any notes after opening. Hmm. You know, so there's always some sort of part of the process that's letting go. I mean, for feature film, you know, they actually they spend years or months writing a script right. before they even do any casting. You know, actors come in just for that section from casting through the end of production. And then there's months and months of post-production, especially nowadays if there's a bunch of CG, there could be years. Oh, sheesh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and you got to commit fully to your part of the process because it is a collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody is counting on everybody else to do their part and to do everything they can to make their part good. You know, I'm not going to go hang lights. That's not my job. That's not right. what I do. But I'm praying that the guys who do know what they're doing. Because right. if I ain't lit, all the acting I could do in the world won't matter <laughs> right. because no one will see it. Pretty much. Yeah. Right? You know, so, um, I mean, I think it's something that I've learned over the years. Just, I think at the very beginning, mm-hmm. you know, if you get, when you get your first job, it's everything. Oh my God, I've got a job. You obsess about it for, you know, weeks or days before you go on set and then you're super nervous, you know, and I'll, you know, then you do your job and then after it's over, you're how did I do? What did, every, did everyone like me? What did, what's going to happen to it? You know, but hopefully you get more than one job. Yes, true. So you have something else to think about <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you move on and you realize like, oh, all that thinking I was doing other then my part of the process didn't change or affect anything. You know, I did a movie uh, years ago. I wasn't doing a lot of feature films. I think it was it was after Mad TV. Okay. And I got a, a part in a relatively... It was know, not that little independent feature Pulp Fiction. It was not no, that No, one. no, no. Okay. That was before. <laughs> no, this one looked... The prospects of this looked much bigger than the prospects for Pulp Fiction before we did it. Wow. Because this was a feature film, really funny script, starring Bill Murray, Catherine O'Hara, James Spader, uh, Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, Jay Moore, you know, right. all of these amazing Sheesh. people. Mm-hmm. And it was going to go to Calgary to shoot for, you know, two, three weeks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I've done a lot of, I've done a Roger, some Roger Corman horror movies. I've done a bunch of stuff that never saw the light of day. Right. I'm like, well, <laughs> this movie, I don't have a big part. But it's, it's Bill Murray movie. Mm-hmm. You know, this could be the next Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Never released. Wow. Disappeared. I mean, like I, I described that movie to you. I said, all those people, yeah. you have no idea what I'm talking about. I, I was seriously, as he is saying the names, I'm looking up in my window, you know, of my mind being like, okay, this person trying to think of the time, maybe 1995, what happened? Right. No, you're thinking, I must have seen this movie right. or heard of this movie. You haven't. It was never wow. released in theaters. It was never advertised anywhere. You know, wow. it just because of elements completely outside of all of our control. Right. 
you know, whatever great work we did, no one ever saw. Wow. <laughs> I think yeah. one of the other kind of gems, and you just kind of touched on it briefly also, is before you become a voice actor, and mm-hmm. everybody wants to ask you, of course, like, how do you become a voice actor? <laughs> you have to know how to act. Yep. And you talked about that in such a way because, again, people hear it and people watch so much animation these days being like that sounds like an amazing career an amazing job which right i'm sure it is it is but without understanding that baseline and you said it in a perfect way acting yeah like even though voice comes before it it is voice acting you have to know the basics yeah of how to act or that performance is going to suffer yeah yeah no it, it won't be a performance you have to know how to Take a script, invest it with life, and make that imaginary circumstance real for the audience. That's the job of an actor, Mm -hmm. period. No matter whether you are doing it on a preschool kid show, whether it's Dora the Explorer, whether it's Bette Midler and Hello Dolly on Broadway, whether it's the Black Panther. Mm -hmm. As an actor, your job is to take that script and bring it to life for the audience, no matter what. Mm-hmm. The only difference is, technically speaking, how you do your performance. Do you do it into a camera? Do you do it to a live group? Do you do it to a microphone? Yeah. You know? And I don't know. I mean, I think, I feel like a lot of people look at voice acting as sort of a poor cousin to quote unquote real acting. I've had people say, acting. Like, do, do, do you miss real acting? Oh, come on. You know? <laughs> and, or just like, I could do voice acting. I mean, I mean, I ain't that cute. Like, so I couldn't do, you know, be on TV, but I talk all the time. Why shouldn't I get paid for it? You know, it's like, no, not quite not, the same. It's not, not the thing. It's not the easier kind of acting. Right. You know, in fact, reading words off a page without sounding like you're reading is actually a lot harder than for sure. Many people think. Absolutely. Know? Um, so, and, and also, it's a very unique field in the sense that everybody I know who's in it came at it from a different way. Yeah. You know, there, you know, you hear a lot of people think about going to Hollywood to be a movie, act, movie actor. They think of a path. You yep. know, it's like, well, you know, I did plays in high school and I was you know, considered really good looking. So I got on a bus and went to Hollywood and got off and got an agent and did it. And there is something of a prescribed path. Sure. You know, well, you have to become a waiter first right. and drop off your screenplay to a bunch of people that come in the restaurant. Exactly. Right. There are, there are at least ideas of yeah. how to do it. The truth is with voice acting, there isn't. Yeah. There is no prescribed path because literally everybody's path is different, you know? And that's why it's really hard when someone comes up. It's like, how do I get into voice acting? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know you. (laughs) I can tell you how I got into voice acting and how the people I know got into voice Mm -hmm. acting. You're going to have to figure out how you will get into voice acting. But that said, there is also, I think, a value in knowing how other people did it. Absolutely. You know, like Rob Paulson's Talking Tunes podcast is an invaluable resource for that way. And his his podcast, it blows my mind. I mean, the people that he brings on there and... You know, people listening who, you know, kind of want a little bit of a format. I mean, the luminaries in voice acting and doing iconic voices from movies or TV shows. I mean, it is tremendous. And that was actually in a documentary that I watched about voice acting. Which one? Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. 
It wasn't I Know That Voice, was it? Yes. I, oh, yeah. I think produced, so. And produced by um, my castmate from Futurama, John DiMaggio. Right. And so um, I forget which voice actor was talking about it, but they were saying that doing a voice is great. If you do a great Porky Pig, if you do a great Mel Blanc anything, right. but to take that character and recite Shakespeare, that is when you know you have a voice. Right. Because then, other than that, you're just imitating yes. as opposed to creating. Yeah. Yeah. So with talking tunes, I mean, the stuff that he does on there, yeah. you have been, I mean, you have done stuff like that. I mean, it's just like yeah, to fun. take that voice and not just imitate, but do something right. else, even though you were terrified to do any of the Looney Tunes ones when they were recasting <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah. Well, a little bit intimidating. That was, that was just my hang up. When you get a CD of all Mel Blanc right. doing all of them. How how are you going to like? Yeah, no, no. But I mean, Billy was Bugs Bunny. For, Billy right. West was Bugs Bunny. I mean, that's the thing is that people can do it because Mel was just a guy, just like we're all just people. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be done. But yeah, there's also you can't ignore just the emotional weight that these characters carry. Absolutely, you know, and that's the thing. Like for me to try to be Bugs Bunny just on a personal level, it was just not doable. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Uh, to kind of wrap it up. So what always blows me away is in all of the projects that you have been involved in, which we could not even list, you still remember lines. You still remember, like during the panel, you were able to just drop out quotes and drop out lines and the song from Futurama that Hermes sang. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) I can do that with a good handful. Mm -hmm. I can't do that with all of them. Yeah, and that kind of leads into my question of what are the things that really do make it stick into your head is it the character is it the certain voice because as you said you know you talk about you have to get to know your voice and where that voice lives Mm -hmm. both in your body in your heart in your throat so when you think about those lines kind of which ones how do they stick out um i mean that in particular generally comes from the quality of the writing which i which i'd say is true of any acting you do like the lines you remember are the ones that are great. You know? Um, I mean, there have been a lot of shows I worked on that weren't necessarily fantastically written, you know? Um, And there's certainly, I think for me, the significance of a project is multi-layered. It's the work I did Mm -hmm. and how I felt about it. There's the people I worked with. Yeah. You know, like when you work with Matt Groening, Kind of sticks in your mind. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. You know, you work with Seth, Seth MacFarlane. You know, I, and I've been lucky enough to work with some really amazing creators. You know, mm-hmm. Dave Filoni on Clone Wars, Genndy yeah, Tartakovsky geez. on Samurai Jack. You know, these are people who make work that sticks, mm-hmm. you know, on with you as a performer, with you as a, a viewer, whatever. Their work is strong. It's powerful. You know, and those tend to stick. You know, the Justice League stuff. You know, the incredible the Bruce Tim designs. You know, the Dwayne Little, McDuffie, little itty bitty legs, know. big chests, right. big bodies. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff can't help but stick with you. I mean, there, and there's stuff that's not that you know well regarded and well known. You know, like the the work we did um, with Greg Weissman on Spectacular Spider Man. I loved that stuff. Right, it was a, and it's also who you're working with. You know, of course, it's a great cast. There's a, a show. We did years and years and years ago, one of the first shows I was a regular on called Weekenders. Okay. You know, I don't actually remember any lines from that, but I'd certainly remember those characters and the relationships and the actors. I worked on that with 
Jason Marsden, Gray Delisle, and Kath Susie. It was the four of us as these four little kids. And that show was not a hit. That show was not a cult favorite, but it was significant to me because it was mm-hmm. one of my very first and because of those people. You know, those four, those three actors plus Doug Langdale, the creator, they were all really amazingly talented people that I learned stuff from. Mm-hmm. And that experience sticks with me because of that, you know? Incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it all comes down to the writing. Yeah. To the process, yeah. you know, not the hero or the villain, which is another question you get asked all the time. Which is more fun, the writing? Yeah, it's excellent the stuff. That's well done. Yeah. So, other than Goblins Animated, you know, which is you're working your butt off, still working yeah. your butt off, <laughs> right? To get you know out the rewards for the Kickstarter or the crowdfunding backers, right? And other than that, kind of what are some other projects that you can talk about? Because again, you always have fifty other projects that you cannot talk about. I know that's that, and of course, those are the ones that stick it that stick in your mind. The minute someone says, "What are you working?" I'm like, <gasps> "Make sure I don't say that. Make sure you don't say that." Right? You know, and of course, the first thing that comes to your mind. Right, and now I can't think of anything else except the the ones I can't mention. Um, <laughs> what have we been working on? And also, there's so many these days. Everybody's yeah. so secretive about everything, and it gets to the point where you're not sure. Yeah, like. Like there's things I'm like, oh, I can't really talk about that. It's like, oh, it came out two months ago. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> it's like, uh, I mean, it was great. <laughs> Shadow of War is out, right? Okay, yes, I'm in that. Right. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, it usually comes back to when I get fan response. Right. That's when I know what's hitting, what's significant. Um, God, what have we been working on? Uh, been working on Craig of the Creek, uh, okay. which is a new Cartoon Network show. Um which is really fun. Um, what else? Uh, that's the. I think that's the only regular okay. gig uh, going on right now, and that's actually just because it's been going on long enough <laughs> that I can say, "Oh, it's actually out." Mm-hmm. You know, but, yeah. Excellent. Uh, one thing that I loved seeing, uh, you were recording somewhere. You put on Instagram. I assume some voice work needed to get done right away. Right. And you made a makeshift studio yeah. with a chair and a towel. <laughs> yes, in the hotel closet. That type of ingenuity, like that was just fun to see because I was like, I mean, I cover film festivals and things all over. We duck into corners. Right. We do all of this. To see you, the professional and everything, you'd be like, <laughs> nope, this was my studio for the day. Right, right. You know, because sometimes, I mean, basically it's either you figure out a way to do it or somebody <laughs> else gets the job. Yep. You know? And that's, I'm, I'm still hungry enough to work, mm-hmm. to work hard. And I know you don't like the term legend because <laughs> legend means like, hey, I still need to work, guys. Right. Like hey. Once legend gets put in front of your name, then people are like, oh, we'll give this to some young upstart. Like, no, man, Phil Lamar needs work. Exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> excellent. And then social media, where can people also, in particular, mm-hmm. Goblins Animated, where can people go to get updates on that? And where well, can they find you? I mean, the, the main portal for Goblins is uh, goblinsanimated.org. Excellent. Um, but you can also find us at, on Instagram at goblinsanimated. And I'll always have some updates on my personal stuff uh, at Phil Lamar on Twitter and the philamar.com, um, my website. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you again so much for being on the show for a second time. Sure. Uh, it is always a pleasure. I'm always enamored because, again, I... You are 
my my childhood. You are my <laughs> adolescence. You are my adulthood. Uh-oh. So so thank you so much, Phil Lamar. Thank you, John. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.